Hi, I'm Brandon Briscoe, and welcome to another episode of The Postscript, Living Faith Bible Institute's weekly podcast and YouTube series devoted to interviewing pastors and professors from LFBI and across the Living Faith Fellowship. And each week when we come together, we're having conversations about theology, about ministry, about church history. Um, And one of the things that we focus on quite a bit on this show is leadership principles. LFBI itself is devoted to building and training up ministry leaders. That's one of our primary objectives. And in a lot of our courses and in the program of study, there's a heavy emphasis on teaching leadership principles, and along with that, providing warnings to growing leaders about uh, how to conduct themselves in ministry, because it is a very big deal. Now today on the show, uh, we're gonna be having uh, a dialogue about just this thing, leadership principles, and uh, I'm privileged to have my friend, Pastor Kenny Morgan uh, with me here. He is the uh, professor and chair of the foundations program here at LFBI, and uh, he spends a lot of his time and energy addressing issues of character and uh, and speaking to char- b- biblical character in particular and what that means for the minister. And so we're gonna have a good time talking today Welcome, Kenny Morgan. Thanks for having me. And I can't think of just a a better topic to discuss than leadership and just getting into specific leadership principles. This is really, you know, a a rubber hitting the road kind of discussion where it really lands the plane, if you would, on on, um, just just what it takes, Mm -hmm. you know, just operate. I think every leader needs to be very clear when it comes to the principles that they govern their lives yeah. by, the principles that they govern their ministries by, and the Word of God does not leave us hanging when it comes to that it is no. full and so very rich. Yeah, and so many people say that they want to be leaders, uh, but actually practicing leadership um, in terms of behavior, uh, you know, introspection, you know, critical thinking, um, how to just behave among other people like there's all there's lots of gaps in people's ability to lead Mm -hmm. and the bible does provide so much resource and and information on what god expects from us and and so i'm I'm looking forward to having a conversation about second samuel specifically but you and i have a little project that we're working on i want you to talk i want you to talk about that just a little bit before we get into the study sure We're, we're working on a thing we are working on a thing and that that thing uh it seems like it was it was just naturally born out of the countless discussions that we've had about leadership. And mm-hmm. you've spent quite a bit of time in first Samuel and I've spent some time in second Samuel and you and I've come to a place of clarity and mutual agreement on the richness of those yeah. books when it comes to leadership principles. I mean, we could literally, we being just people, I mean, we, we could write books, yes. plural about leadership just based on first Samuel alone. Mm-hmm. And so you and I both have a, a great appreciation for those principles and have come to the place that we really believe it would really be a blessing to others as much as it's been to us mm-hmm. to take many of those principles and you can't even get them all in one book. It's mm-hmm. so rich and so full, right? But to to take the things that we've gleaned, not to say that we're the experts about leadership, right? Unless you have our our book, you yeah. don't really know anything no, about no, no. leadership. But but we do think that it, there would be some spiritual profit to the mm-hmm. body of Christ and leaders in the body of Christ if you and I can can pull this off. And so, uh, you and I are officially embarking on writing a book mm-hmm. about leadership principles out of First and Second Samuel. So yeah, and so exciting. with and with that in mind, I mean. We're still in the process of writing, obviously, and, and we've got a lot of stuff uh, ready to go. But I thought this would be a great opportunity for us to kind of exercise some of the things that we've talked about personally um, and, uh, and invite other people to, to hear us discuss them sure. and, and kind of vet some of the stuff that, that we've already um, discussed so much, just you and me. And so we're going to talk about 2 Samuel specifically mm-hmm. today, which is your area of study is 2 Samuel. You've been there quite a bit. And... Um, before we get into that, I think it's really important for us to kind of set the stage on why these two books, like why First Samuel and why Second Samuel. What is it that's happening in these books for someone who maybe not is not so familiar True. with First and Second Samuel? What's happening here that makes these so 
uh, leadership rich in terms of their content. And, uh, and then we'll dive into some of the principles that we find in Second Samuel. Yeah, very good. So obviously, you know, I think if we're going to talk about Second Samuel, we need to, to at least touch on sure. First Samuel just yeah, a little absolutely. bit. So in First Samuel, the focus primarily is on Samuel, on King Saul, and, and David. And something happens in First Samuel that is is very critical to David and Second Samuel, and that is David is anointed mm-hmm. in First Samuel. So mm-hmm. we all know that at some point David is going to be king. And so while the focus of First Samuel is on Samuel, Saul, and David, the focus uh, predominantly in Second Samuel is on David and his reign. Right. In terms of him actually taking the throne and then the kingdom expanding from there, uh, you see the first mention of this phrase in Second Samuel, the throne of David, which is obviously doctrinally a very significant yeah. term, right? Right. And so that is set up there in Second Samuel. You get the Davidic covenant there in Second Samuel. And all of that obviously points to the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. So you get a picture of that in in the reign of David in Second Samuel. Mm-hmm. But in terms of the the practical richness from a leadership perspective, first and second Samuel is absolutely loaded with what to do as a leader and what not to do, right. who to be, who not to be. The lessons are absolutely priceless. They are invaluable and they're very, they're not vague or ambiguous. Hmm. They're very sound and very clear. And and I have a great appreciation for them because uh, they challenge and refresh me as yeah. a leader. And one of the beauties of the two books, um, which used to be one book. Correct. Um, the beauty is that we get to watch people as they develop. Yes. So we we see them, you know, in a similar stage, like with David, as a lot of our young growing leaders in LFB, I are just mm-hmm. starting out. Uh, their faith is very zealous. And what does it look like for that faith and that zeal to be refined? I mean, we get to watch David as he grows through the entire narrative of his life. Uh, the same thing is true with Saul. I mean, he's a young man when we're introduced to him. Um, but by the time First Samuel closes, uh, Saul has, you know, has developed into who he's going to be. Sure. And we see the same thing with with Samuel and on and on and on. And and I think that gives us great insight. And then to have these men next to each other, the right. Joabs and the Abners, Absolutely. for instance, or the even at the very beginning, Hannah and Penina, mm-hmm. there's always this, there's a dualistic thing happening here yeah. where we get to see the characters, both good and bad, in contrast to one another. And it just, the 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 book just blossoms that way. It does. And what you, you just touched on something I think is very, very critical in, in terms of just, just watching the development of these men, right, as, as the narrative unfolds mm-hmm. in both books. And one of the things that, and again, you know, these, this is where the principles begin to emerge because, right. you know, a, a critical leadership principle for every leader is, is, is learning how to manage success. Mm-hmm. Right, learning how to manage the blessings of God. Right in Second Samuel, you see very clearly God's hand on David, God's desire to see him take the throne over yeah. all of Israel, and you see the 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 expansion of the kingdom, and and God is absolutely behind all of it. But then you're watching how is David responding to it? Mm-hmm. What's happening, and and how he responded to it early in second samuel begins to change as the book unfolds and so it does the challenge becomes like okay praise god for his blessings but i have to really be on guard now in terms of my response to that mm-hmm. so it's uh fascinating but then you talked about men like joab and you know leaders in, ter- in terms of particularly pastors you know pastors are typically are leaders of leaders. Mm-hmm. So now you're watching David. How does he lead Joab? Right. How does he lead Absalom? How does he deal with Abner? How does he mm-hmm. deal with all these men who are around him? And there are lessons to extract from those experiences that we see in the book. And so um, you can read it and read it and read it again. Oh, and man. I think you can find a thousand it's, principles. It's so rich. It is. 
And so let's d- dive into some of that richness sure. even right now. So we're going to start off early on in 2 Samuel. In fact, in the first chapter, we, ha- we run into a principle mm-hmm. that you note right away. And that is that regardless of the situation, the leader is never bigger than the Bible. And uh, that is a that statement seems like something we would agree with right off the bat. But I want you to, in terms of the story and what's happening in the first chapter, explain how you came to that conclusion sure. and what it means to us practically. So in this first chapter of Second Samuel, you know, David, you know, he he gets word of, of what's happened with Israel and and the the highlight of that for him would have been not only did, did Israel not fare well in that battle, but King Saul and Jonathan have died. Mm-hmm. And so now you you really get to see David's heart, at least at this stage in 2 Samuel here in this first chapter. And it really gives you a visual of David being a man after God's own heart. Mm-hmm. So if we are to, to, just, to just put ourselves in his shoes for a moment, his nemesis, Saul, is out right. of the way. Right. David knows he's been anointed. This is his moment. Yeah. Isn't it? You would think this is his moment. Yeah. But instead, you see his heart. And what he what he did was he now moves the nation of Israel to genuinely mourn and grieve the loss of not just Jonathan, but David. Mm-hmm. I mean, but but Saul, his yeah, father. Right, 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 right. I mean, the guy who's been trying to to take him out. And it was genuine. You see how he eulogized both again, Jonathan, I could understand, but but to eulogize Saul and speak of him the way that he did. And so for David in that moment, that moment wasn't about him. Right. This was a hard time for the nation. Israel has lost in battle. Israel has no king. Saul has died. Jonathan has died. The nation is vulnerable. And so David doesn't put himself at the top of that situation. Instead, his focus is, I mean, he is, he is genuinely grieving and mourning. And so I, I, I take from that is, you know, as a leader, it's, it's, I'm in trouble. We're in trouble when the ministry is about me, when I'm looking at situations and now perceiving them as opportunities for me, right? How this benefits me to, to say, Oh, great. Well, now I get to ascend to now I get to claim. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I just learned a tremendous amount about humility and holding to the things that God values, that God treasures. And you see that in David in that moment. He yeah. just, he didn't become, he didn't become bigger than what mattered to God according to his word. Right. And I think two of the really important things that you see in that is, first of all, he did what he knew that the nation needed him to do. Absolutely. And not, not to celebrate, not to pound his chest. He did the thing that he knew that would unify the right. nation, which it needed because so many people had been in Saul's camp. Right. So many people had been in his camp that there was, there was division in terms of people's understanding of who the true king should be. This was an opportunity for him to unify the kingdom. But not only that, it wasn't fake. No, it wasn't. It was a genuine heartfelt brokenness over the, the man that was his enemy was also in many regards a father figure at times. Yes. Yeah. And so he's mourning what was lost in, in the king and honoring really God's anointed. Right. That's a big deal. I mean, he's now the anointed, right? He's right. to fill that void, but he's honoring um, the integrity of the position, even if the man himself lacks integrity. Yeah. That's a big deal, I think. I think in God's eyes, um, I think that that's a big deal. It is a big deal. Uh, and, and again, it's... it's it just wasn't about him, mm-hmm. and 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 some now at at that moment it wasn't about him, but then that's what happens so often in ministry leadership is over time that changes yeah. to at some point it does become about the leader it does become about me mm-hmm. it does become about me getting even or settling a score or whatever it might be and and you just see with David there. It was beautiful. Right. And that, that pettiness is is unfortunate, but it's so common among pastoral or just leadership in general. And it really ought not be. I mean, and I think that's one of the unique things about First and Second Samuel in, in terms of watching 
tran people transform. You know, most stories, you, you watch a Disney movie and someone learns a, a lesson, right? right. But in, essentially their integrity or their, their innocence is, is generally for the most part preserved the entirety of the story. But in First and Second Samuel, God lays out the reality of this man's life. It's on complete display. And we get to see him both in his greatest strengths and his greatest weaknesses. And I do believe this is one of the moments of his greatest strengths. He, he makes a very wise decision here. Yeah, and, and, and one of the traits that, you know, it's just something that, that God continues to whisper to me um, from and through his word is the premium that God places on humility. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, it matters a great deal to God. It's, it's very precious, and that's one of my takeaways from that opening scene of Second Samuel chapter one, is you see a man in in David, who was humble, yeah, who was broken. To your point, even though this man who had um, persecuted him and had made life so very difficult for him, David never lost sight of the fact that at the end of the day, that was still the Lloyd's anointed, to mm -hmm. your point. So much so that the Amalekite who claimed to have finished Saul off, David had him killed. Yeah. Why? Because he lost or he didn't have respect for the Lloyd's anointed, which mm -hmm. in 1 Samuel, David was very clear that even though Saul was out of bounds, that was still God's man and it wasn't his place right to 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 handle him or deal right, with him right? right and so and so you just see that culminate if you would in that opening chapter of second samuel where david is still honoring the lloyd's anointed mm -hmm. with care it yeah. is a very genuine expression of humility i i agree and it's a it's a great place for us to start um but let's move on to another principle sure. so uh in the second chapter right off the bat we see another one in verse one you point to this principle Waiting is the prerequisite to moving. And, uh, and it speaks to kind of this moment where that David's in, right? Um, there's a lot of different moves that he can make, but he chooses to handle things the right way. Can you, can you explain how this goes? Yeah, I can. And, and I think you know, one of the things that I know has, um, has afflicted me um, from a self-imposed perspective, I, I, I did it to myself, right, has been um, presumptuous living, mm -hmm. right? Uh, just presuming upon God and, and then moving, yeah. right, With without waiting. And so, so in the first chapter of 2 Samuel, you know, you, you see the mourning, you see the eulogizing. And so now that we're, we're past that, David now does something in this opening verse of chapter two, and it says that he inquired of the Lord. And what he did was he was inquiring, saying, okay, God, would you have me to, to go up to, to Judah, mm -hmm. which is a tribe that he was from? But then he didn't just stop there. He says, okay. And the Lord says, yes. Okay. Where would you have me to go in Judah? Mm -hmm. So he doesn't take a presumptuous approach and say, well, okay, Saul's out of the picture. I was anointed. And we're past this whole eulogizing and mourning thing. So now I'm just going to go ahead and start making decisions. Right. And I think it's just for a lot of leaders, it's just not having respect for the waiting process, not being submitted to the Lord saying, okay, God, what would you have me to do? Mm -hmm. When would you have me to do it? Where would you have me to do it? And giving God the proper time to clarify those things. And I think, again, in terms of leadership, so often we've got a Bible. Mm -hmm. uh, we know the objective. We know what the Great Commission is. We, you know, we might have a, a model or a philosophy that we believe is biblical for ministry. And so a lot of times we function so principled that a lot of times it's very easy because we know what the what is. Right. Like in, in David's case, the what was, well, I'm anointed. I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to take the throne. Right. I, I guess that's just what I'm going to do now. But it, this points to the fact that God is in the how, that he wants the strategy to be right. Exactly. That the, that the details actually do matter. They do matter. And so David is acknowledging that in his relationship with the Lord. And, uh, and it begins with prayer. Yeah. To find out, to exactly. get the answers, yeah, exactly. And you, you see, one of the uh, there, there are obviously 
there there's no shortage of episodes of this in God's word in terms of just leaders getting presumptuous and people mm-hmm. getting presumptuous. But the one that just comes to mind right now is is Israel's bitter defeat at AI. Mm-hmm. Just the assumptions that they made about oh, that. And then once it was realized what they had done, they're saying, well, now, well, let's go up and do it now. And it's like, Joshua was like, no, 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 no. You understand, yeah. God is not with you right. to, to, to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, that's going to be presumptuous, right? Yeah. And so you, you just see just, just the disaster that often comes with people, not leaders, not waiting on God. And where it becomes disastrous now is you are leading people in that because you're making decisions to move forward, having not consulted God, having not waited on the Lord to give clarity regarding details to Mm -hmm. your point. But you're now leading a flock of people in that direction who are also going to feel the brunt of the consequences Mm -hmm. of you moving forward, not having waited on the Lord. Right. And And they'll have perspectives and uh, how you function in terms of of, of the how, you know, right. as God leads you, is going to have everything to do with whether or not those people have the the right perspective. Right. Uh, because David again is in a position where he could be hated if he makes the wrong move. Right. I mean that people don't have to unify themselves to him. No. And so him taking time and him listening to the Lord as it concerns the how and being patient on God is such a critical part. Uh, that affects the way that we should lead as well. We we have to be patient and make sure that the t- God's timing is right and the and the how is done properly. You know, a guy that I, I've learned a tremendous amount about on this is Sam. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I remember just the the several conversations that we were a part of in terms of me coming on staff full time someday. Mm-hmm. I'm certain that you had those same conversations yeah. with Sam. That these weren't like you know, one-time conversations. These were conversations over a period of years, literally. And the thing that I always walked away with from those discussions was that he was waiting on the Lord. Mm -hmm. Like he wanted God to, to, to give him peace on, on when. Yeah. And and so I, I just, I appreciate that. And I think it's so critical as we think about things like church planting too, because we all know that God wants us to disciple and, and reproduce what's happening. And we, you know, all of the churches in the living faith fellowship and beyond uh, that we associate with through LFBI, one of the primary objectives is to see their ministry multiplied through church planting. Now, knowing that isn't good enough, knowing that that's what God wants to do and to, and to spread the light throughout the whole world, um, that's not actually good enough because you could ramrod that thing. Right. And you could send novices. Yes, you can. And you could make things happen and uh, God actually not be in that um, and and not support it in the way that you're doing it. And so, man, this principle is a critical one, I believe, for all of us leaders to learn from is that, is that we absolutely need to wait on the moving of the Lord versus our own, um, you know, on presumptions. Well, so let's go back to, you know, we'll, we'll call it your book for Samuel. <laughs> our book. Our book, right? Our, our, our book. So, you know, Saul's ministry really took a turn and his life took a turn for the worst um, when he chose not to wait on Samuel. Mm-hmm. And presumptuously, yeah. right? What does he do? Well, he offers a sacrifice, which is a no-no. Right. That was out of bounds for him. Mm-hmm. And it absolutely marked the beginning of the end for him. And it just shows you how costly it can be. Oh, man. And, when, and what leads it to. Yes. Like, okay, it was fear that led him to be presumptuous. Absolutely. And, uh, and that's so common, isn't it? Like fear of what people might think, uh, fear of whether or not it'll ever happen, fear right. of the unknown. Um, it's exertion of control uh, that leads people to do things um, before the Lord's timing. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Big deal. So yeah. let's uh, let's continue on because sure. I want to I want to cover at least maybe five or six of these things okay. before the end of the episode right. because I want to really give people a taste mm-hmm. of of just how rich uh, this is. And so uh, number three is uh, massive failure starts with seeds of compromise, and uh, and so I want you to explain that from second 
from Second Samuel as well as you know goes through several chapters here. This part of the narrative where you're pulling this principle from. So maybe explain to us what's happening in the story and how you derive this particular principle. Massive failures start with the seeds of compromise. So when you when you when you consider the book of Second Samuel, the 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 sin that gets the most press is David's sin with Bathsheba, which. Mm-hmm. Um, not downplaying that at all, but actually his numbering of the people was was yeah. actually the, the the worst. Okay, mm-hmm. when you look at the fallout of that, the fallout from what happened with Bathsheba was absolutely a mess too. David paid dearly yeah. in his own home, but yeah, it was particularly personal yes. in terms of the consequences. Absolutely, but in terms of the, the numbering of the people, that had nationwide. Yeah. Yeah, 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 very grievous. Um, but. But before you get to David's fall with Bathsheba, you could see it coming. Mm -hmm. You could see it coming. And so we know that from Deuteronomy chapter 17 and verse 17, when you get laws concerning the, the kings of Israel, one of the things that they were prohibited from doing was multiplying wives. Mm-hmm. Well, before you get to David's sin with Bathsheba later on in 2 Samuel, God is working. We see it. The, the the throne is being set up and established. The kingdom is being expanded. The house of, of Saul is waxing weaker, and the house of David is waxing stronger. Mm-hmm. God is blessing David's life and his ministry, okay? But then David is doing something along the way, and that is he's multiplying wives mm-hmm. and concubines. Yeah. And so now, again, at that time, you could look at it and say, well, that was not that not that God approved it, but he definitely winked at it, mm-hmm. right? God definitely wasn't, it wasn't a part of his plan, but God was still blessing him, but it still wasn't enough, right? Which is what ultimately you get to in 2 Samuel uh, with the same with Bathsheba when God is addressing it through Nathan is like, mm-hmm. what haven't I given you? you? You had it all, right? But but you can see just in the multiplying of of wise and concubines that the groundwork, the seeds for what happened with Bathsheba were being planted. Mm-hmm. And, and that's that's what you see time and time again. Typically when we see a leader who has some type of gross moral failure, right? Where God pulls the curtains back and we see how low they've been living and yeah. and just the women and the money and all of that. Well, that might be the end of it, right? but it wasn't the beginning. It started somewhere, right? There were these seeds of compromise. There were these, these little, you know, oh, this is okay. I'll make these allowances, making provision for the flesh mm-hmm. and and then you just feed it and feed it, and before you know it, you get to Second Samuel chapter eleven, and there you go. Yeah, and the, one of the ways we can think about it too is that that David probably along the way uh, was convinced that he deserved it, mm-hmm. and uh, and so this was him again, like you said, making provision for the flesh. But these were he was adding toxins to his ministry, um, both both in terms of the culture, but also in terms of inviting. God's discipline into mm-hmm. his life. And we see this multiplied in his son, like we so often do, we, these things become generational. But then at the end of Solomon's reign, as, as, as you know, the kingdom begins to kind of crumble beneath his feet, what we see is that there's a severe consequence right. for taking on of these comp- concubines and wives. And that was that the people had been completely mingled. The, the objectives had completely been lost from yeah. the beginning. Is not They were no longer a light to the world. They were, they were appropriating the world Absolutely. through the leadership. And then there was no choice, that, but God had to send them into captivity was the end, the end result. And it's interesting because when you, when you look at the, the, the life and the ministry of Solomon, he essentially followed the same blueprint, mm-hmm. right? You get to 1 Kings you know, chapter 11, and it's gut-wrenching. Mm-hmm. Right when you see the Solomon love many strange women, and and just to see just where that went and how it stole his heart from the Lord, you say, well, where did that start? Well, that started early in First Kings. When what does Solomon do? He marries an Egyptian woman, mm-hmm. and at that time he would have said, well, this was it, it was a political marriage, whatever it may be. Right, but right. Uh, slice it how you want. It was a compromise. Yeah. And again, it was it was a seed of compromise that was sown right there. And then you just see it and you watch it and time and time again, 
And then when, when you, you know, when you, when you talk to leaders, you, you read books or interviews or things like that. And as they begin to discuss their unraveling, if you, if you, if you listen closely, they'll always at some point say, here's where it started. Mm -hmm. And they'll speak to those compromises that became normal. Right. That, that again, laid the foundation for this egregious thing that we're all seeing now and are just mortified by. Right. You know, it makes me think a lot of, I know that you and I have had several conversations about, about the rise and fall of Mars Hill, which Absolutely. is obviously a very popular podcast right now. And, and, you know, we're not here to debate, you know, how the in docu docuseries has been conducted and the biblical principles that the, uh, the narrator holds to, but, right. but in terms of the story of Mark Driscoll, um, man, what the docuseries is riddled with is content related to, oh, well, so he, he held to this position, this mm -hmm. biblical position, but then all around it, you see moments, right? There was that one, Hey, you remember that one sermon, right? Or that that one retreat where he said that weird thing, and 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 what he was doing is he was making space and provision for the flesh. He was making room for, that, for him to have things the way that he wanted them. Right. And uh, and it opened up a long term, very devastating, de you know, destructive culture, and ultimately the the thing fell apart. Yeah, absolutely. And and again, you you just you 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 see that time and time again. And so I think. For me personally, it, it's it's a it's a it's a lesson mm -hmm. and it's a challenge. And one of the things that that I that I pray the Lord will help me to maintain is a razor sharp sensitivity to the work of the Holy Spirit in my life, because I do not believe that a believer who has the Holy Spirit in them, I don't believe they can compromise without the Holy Spirit dealing with them about that. Yeah, they have to ignore the, the grieving. They've got to grieve or quench them, right? Mm -hmm. To be able to do that and just keep going. Right. What I can't do, what I don't want to do in those moments when the Holy Spirit says, hey, look at this. Mm -hmm. Look at this thought. Look at that speech. Look at that behavior. Yeah, to somebody else, maybe it's not a big deal. And, and, and now we get into one of the things that, you know, with this, that that comes out of this is, one of the things that God has challenged me with through all of this is not adhering to a cultural holiness, hmm. right? And and that's what we can do as leaders when we grieve and quench the spirit is what we do is we say, well, yeah, I know this isn't right. However, it's not that. Yeah. So culturally speaking, this in the grand scheme of things, this is really not that bad. Right. Well, it's not based on a cultural holiness, it's based on God's holiness. Mm -hmm. So in the eyes of God, according to his word and according to the Holy Spirit that is dealing with me about this, I don't get to dismiss it. No. I, I don't get to write it off because, well, it's not as bad as what the guy across the street's doing. Mm -hmm. And so, but when we do that, that's where now we give space for these compromises to exist and be fed that take us somewhere mm -hmm. that is not to the glory of God. Yeah, and I think one of the things I always think about in terms of David is that he when you know when Jonathan died, a lot of stuff died with him. Yes. And uh and you know we've discussed previously just between you and I just in terms of Joab kind of moved into the role that was really reserved for Jonathan. Mm -hmm. And so the confidant of David is gone. And that, and thus, you know, it's not just that he had to quench the Holy Spirit or grieve the Holy Spirit uh, in order to, to, to make the decisions that David was making, but he didn't have the accountability that he right. was supposed to have. No one ever filled that role that Jonathan was supposed to play as accountability because Jonathan was the type of guy who would not have been afraid to tell David, this is a misstep. Yeah. But Joab was not that kind of guy. No. Joab was the type of guy who was willing to help cover up sin. Right. And I think that's a really big deal. It's a big deal. And it speaks to the integrity of both leaders. Mm -hmm. It speaks to the the lack of integrity on Joab's part because Joab was a he was a me guy. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, at the end of the day, yeah. Joab was about Joab. Sure. Now, I will say there there's a lot to like about Joab. Yeah. I mean, in terms of 
the guy was brave, courageous, fearless. I mean, if you had to get into battle with someone, I would take Joab every time. Sure. But it also speaks to the lack of integrity on David's part by making room for that, mm -hmm. by allowing that type of leader to have that type of influence in his ministry and influence Joab had. Yeah, absolutely. But at the end of the day, you know, it, it, obviously this falls to David. This it is does. this is a decision he he knew better. And and um, I think one of the things that we have to remember as leaders, it goes back to this idea of humility. Right. And uh, we need to remain humble before the Lord and not make room for want is I guess what I'm getting at is like, I think that the things that lead you to a place where David's at right here is that there was a want in his life. There was a desire, there was a fleshly desire. There was a, you know, for others, it might be um, an ideological desire or an emotional desire that they have an impulse, uh, something inside of them that, that's saying that there's there's more. What God has in front of you, this isn't enough. You should, you know, take of the fruit of the, mm -hmm. of the tree, right? And, um, we have to guard ourselves as growing leaders and as leaders that, that there's nothing there's nothing that we should want that God hasn't given us. Right. Nothing. Right. We yeah. need nothing besides right. what he's offered. Yeah. I think that's huge. Absolutely. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the show. We're going to pause right here for just a second so we can hear from one of our students from the Living Faith Bible Institute. Hi, my name is Chris Allred. Uh, my wife, Lindsay, and I are at Oakland Heights Baptist Church in Cartersville, Georgia, where we've been for about six years. We've served in a lot of different ministries, uh, but our main function has been to lead the middle school ministry for the past five years, up until this past August, where we've transitioned into leading our high school student ministry. Uh, we've been taking LFBI classes for a few years now, and, and they've been a, a really big blessing in our life. They've been instrumental in our training and our growth process. Proverbs 11 says that there's safety in the multitude of counselors. That's exactly what LFBI has been for us, a multitude of counselors. Uh, not only do we do we get some biblical knowledge and some doctrinal training, but we have pastors and missionaries teaching these classes uh, that have a lot of experience in ministry and are able to, to not just teach us from a book, but actually uh, pour some wisdom into our lives from their experience and, and help to, to prepare us and train us for leadership and make us into more godly leaders and ministers. And, and LFBI has been a huge blessing, and I believe it's done just that in my life uh, thus far. I've, I've got godly men helping me to become a godly man. And I'm very grateful for LFBI. It's been a huge blessing. Visit lfbi.org to learn more about Living Faith Bible Institute. Yeah, yeah. You, uh, if, if, if you're not content mm -hmm. with what God has provided, uh, discontentment uh, is covetousness, and covetousness is very potent, mm -hmm. and it will do significant damage. But I, but again, you, so you talk about Joab, talk about David, and which is, I mean, Joab is Joab in himself is a fascinating. We should study. probably do an episode on just on that. You wrote a blog about sure. it that I highly recommend. It's outstanding. Um, but one of the things that that really hurt David as it relates to Joab. And, and there's there's a principle here that that, that really addresses this. Mm -hmm. We're, we're, we're kind of, um, this kind of a prelude to that, yeah. right? But one of the things that, that really hurt David with his leading and managing of Joab was David had lost his credibility with Joab. Mm -hmm. Joab had dirt on David, yep. right? Yep. And so now that I have dirt on you, well, then, yeah. He's I get, vulnerable. He's vulnerable. Yeah. And so how are you going to hold me accountable, David, when I know what you've done? And they're complicit. Absolutely. When you have two complicit individuals, there's always a place to hide. Right. You know, yeah. and, and it becomes impossible, almost impossible, unless you break that that circle of trust right. to get the true accountability and the repentance that you need. You need to break free from those. Those types of relationships are very, very divisive. They are. It, it, it does challenge me deeply, though, because I do believe this. I believe that when a leader loses their credibility, they're done. Yeah. As a, as a husband, as a father, as, as a pastor— if 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 your credibility has been compromised because of your character, 
people are going to tune you out. Yeah, it's the know? issue. It's like it's like a, the tide has turned, yes. and now you're swimming into the tide, and it, you are. and and you've got something to work against now. And it's very difficult. And sadly, so many pastors and leaders find themselves in situations where they've they've compromised publicly, and it, and the results have been catastrophic. And it, yeah. and there's souls in the balance. Right. I mean, we cannot forget that there are souls in the balance. Yeah. So let's move on to principle number four. Um, the next one is divisive movements always leave casualties in the wake. And, and you find this principle again in 2 Samuel chapter 2. Yeah, 2 Samuel chapter 2 into 2 Samuel chapter 3. And so we we spoke earlier about, you know, just the the importance of of the leader waiting on God. And so now that that Saul is is out of the picture and and so God is is moving to establish David as the king uh in Judah, so the southern kingdom, but mm-hmm. but but not the northern kingdom. So mm-hmm. God does that and then Abner, who was the uncle of Saul, right, he has a response to that. And it wasn't to wait on God. He acted presumptuously and said, Okay, I'm gonna take Saul's son, Isbasheth, and I'm gonna make him king. Mm-hmm. When in reality, Isbasheth was really just a puppet. No, yeah. Abner was really the man, really they, calling And we learned that real quick. We learned it real that quick. He, that guy's not fit for the work. It, he was not. <laughs> and again, he was a man of he was a man of pride mm-hmm. and low character. But what what led to that now? So here here's Abner who is disinterested in what pleases God. Mm-hmm. Doesn't consult God, makes his own decision to install Isbasheth for selfish reasons. And so now this leads to war and bloodshed between the house of Saul and the house of David. Mm-hmm. And so this is one of the things that we come to see in ministry, and I've come to see this, is when you have these divisive movements in a church that many times, you know, uh, devolve into church splits, what you see in the wake is you see spiritual casualties. You talked about Mars Hill. And what a what an awful thing that was and what an awful thing that is. And as I I find myself listening to that that whole podcast, one of the things that is very clear is you see people who were so wounded by that and 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 so devastated by it that they'll never go to church again. Yeah. And and these are the types of casualties that come out of these movements where there's a power struggle mm-hmm. right so so here here's there's someone who says you know the bible says only by pride cometh contention right so here's someone who has a prideful agenda and that leads to a power struggle because there's a direction they want to go there there's an outcome that they want to have mm-hmm. that they're going to bypass god and they're going to go to war Yep. They're going to go to war and because they're going to fight for what they want. And so I've come to believe that the one of the nastiest, and I do mean nastiest, one of the nastiest wars in all of human history is a power struggle in a church amongst leaders. Mm-hmm. It is nasty. Yeah. It is nasty, it is rated R, it is graphic, and it is rough, and it is grievous to God. And when you have that, you mark it down. When the dust clears on it, you're going to find a pile of spiritual bodies, just like you did here mm-hmm. with Abner. Yeah, and the, one of the interesting things I think about it is if, if Abner would have simply just been listening to the Lord or watching the movement of the Lord, he would have been able to agree that David was the man for the job. Right. But it's almost as though, and and, I, and you'll see the parallel here almost immediately, is that he's holding on to the traditions of men. And in the church, this is so common too, is that a lot of the things that, that leaders are divisive over are traditions. Sure. And and over things that are cultural in nature, these are these are preferences that then one person has over the other. Instead of watching for the movement of the Lord, people want to fight over really what a lot of times for us in the church are trivial, unimportant right. traditions and things that that could easily be let go of if we would just simply recognize what does the Word of God say and where is His anointing at. Absolutely, if we were watching for the anointing. Then we would we would be able to get in line with how he's moving, and but so often we're fighting over such petty things, and we're holding 
you know, with, with a tight grip onto things that God has long ago abandoned. Yeah. And so you, you now take us back to the principle that we started with where the leader is not bigger than the Bible. Mm -hmm. And that's what happens in these yeah. moments. Mm -hmm. This thing that is trivial, this opinion that I have, this whatever it might be, it, well, hey, listen, it's not worth, <laughs> it, it's not worth going to war over. Mm -mm. And it's not worth the casualties that are yeah. gonna come out of right. this. So if I can borrow an expression from Sam, let's small ourselves. Yeah. Let's small ourselves. And and one of the things that that you'll find with with mature leaders, and I have great respect for this because I desire this in, in my life as a leader, is is I want to disagree well. Yeah. I, I, I want to do that. You, we're gonna have disagreements, right? Sure. That, that, that's human, that's normal. But one of the things that I've learned as a husband now, 19 years into marriage, it's not that we disagree, it's always how we disagree, yeah, right? Yeah. And it's the same way in ministry, whether it's with you or with Sam or whoever it might be, we're going to disagree, right? But it's it's how we disagree, yeah. okay? Yeah, and it's mm. in, in how we disagree is you're holding my heart and I'm holding yes. yours. And it has to be, disagreement has to be done with kick gloves because there has to be a preservation of our love for one another as we disagree. It'll frame the way we speak. I mean, I, James says it that the tongue can't be bridled. It's 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 the most divisive thing, you know, of all of our members, and in, in, in fact, in the whole world, the tongue is the most divisive thing. Yes, it is. And and so, um, with that in mind, man, so much of what we do, how we engage with one another, comes from the mouth. It comes from the mouth, and and it comes back. So we keep all of these are so connected, right? Mm -hmm. These principles mm -hmm. there. They, they build off of each other and, and they're very close neighbors. Mm -hmm. But you use that humility word again. Mm -hmm. And we talked about only by pride cometh contention. So here's one of the things that God has taught me. We can work through anything. We being you and me, me and Sam, any sure. man, any leader, any pastor, we can work through anything provided that we're both humble. That's right. Yeah. If we're both humble, then the thing that we're going to have in mind first and foremost is the glory of God. Mm -hmm. What is it that God desires? Not what I want, but what is it that is going to please God the most? So if I'm going to approach it from that angle, we can't lose. Yeah. If I'm coming from it from that way and you're coming from it from that way, to your point, Abner, like had he just stopped to say, okay, God, let, let me see what you're doing. Let me go talk with David. Let yeah. me hear you yeah, know? because by the time he figures that out, right, it's a little late. It's a little late. It's a little late. A little and even late. though David's desire was to reconcile, it him, was. It, yeah. that wasn't uh, easily accepted by everyone. No, it was not. <laughs> that didn't turn out well. Did not. Turn but you're out right. Well. I mean, if he would have just simply agreed with what God was doing from the beginning, and uh, and I think that the, as pastors and leaders, we have to recognize that that God is in the work. He built this work. It belongs to Him. It doesn't belong to any one man. Right. And we all have the ability to let go of things, to compromise where need be, to prefer one another over ourselves and ultimately do what's necessary for the work because a, a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. And, cannot stand. And, and that's what we have here in this story. And it's what so many churches have too in terms of their leadership. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's look at this next principle, principle number five. We'll try to we'll we'll try to do two more if our listeners can can handle that. Okay. Because we've obviously have a ton to say about these. Yeah. But number five is uh, wicked agendas bow to the sovereignty of God. Wicked agendas bow to the sovereignty of God. And, and the source of this is still, you know, we're kind of in 2 Samuel chapter 3 territory. So maybe explain to us what's happening here and how you pulled that principle. Sure. So as we, as we mentioned earlier, uh, David was anointed king back in, in 1 Samuel 16, mm -hmm. right? So we know exactly what God's plan is, okay? Abner says, well, that's not my plan. So he tries to override that and, 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 and challenge that. But what, what we find that, that's very interesting there is that although Abner tried to subvert the plan of God, God would actually use a rift between Abner and Ishbosheth that right. moved Abner to be so livid that he is now working 
to set up the throne of David yeah. there in Second Samuel right. chapter three, and and one of the things that that as as we as we look at that, there are many lessons that we can even extract just from that principle alone. Yeah. But but I want to read Isaiah fourteen twenty seven because um, this really or that principle it, it was really born out of this and what we see there in second mm-hmm. samuel but here here it is for the lord of hosts hath purposed and who shall disannul it and his hand is stretched out and who shall turn it back mm. so whatever god's plan is it's going down yeah it didn't matter what abner did or who was working against david becoming what god had said he would become that wicked agenda was no match for the sovereignty of God, and God would actually use Abner to pull it off. Mm-hmm. It's really amazing. And so one of the takeaways for me in ministry, and again, you, you, this goes back to that first chapter, and you see it with David not trying to press, not trying to make something happen, and that's just it. When it comes to what God has for me as a leader, I don't have to manufacture anything. I don't have to make anything happen. I, I, I don't have to get into this, this, this competitive thing with you or another leader. What has God planned? Yeah. Then I can rest in that. Yeah. He's going to do it. Yeah. And it comes back to this again, again, this idea of fear. I recently did that interview with John Kendler on fear. And so it's kind of on my mind a lot and seeing fear kind of in all of these sins. Anytime we're, we're trying to exert control over a situation, right. I mean, that's just us not putting our confidence in God. And we're trying to make a backdoor way to get this done. Or if I talk to the right person or I make this move, I'm going to be able to usurp or circumvent or to uh, you know assert my authority in some sort of way that'll right. get the job done. And, uh, uh, the way I want it, right, right, that 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 goes against maybe the plan of God itself. And you're right, the sovereignty of God. I mean, God knows what He's doing. Yes, and He is going to get it done with you or without you. Right, and, and I think, and I think, I think this this once again, the, 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 this leads to an observation and another principle that presumption is a declaration of our lack of faith. Mm-hmm. So if if I've got to get presumptuous and if I've got to scheme and, and I've got to get ahead of God and if I've got to be the one to make it happen, all I'm telling God is, is I don't trust you. And for a leader, that's catastrophic eventually, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. God is, God's got it and I yeah. can rest in that. Yeah, yeah. And you can even, once you've done that, then you can trust the body. Yes. Right. Then you can. Oh, the word becomes so much more clear, and and the the pressure and the burden uh, of relationships becomes so much lighter. And you don't have to always be thinking about what someone else thinks about you or who's rejected this or that. Everything becomes so much lighter at the point that you can just kind of let the stream, the river of God, yeah. take you where it will. Absolutely. Right? And there's there's power in that. Absolutely. Um, number six, the bill for practicing. I love this one. You're such. A, You're wordsmithing. I I like it. So the bill for practicing partiality eventually comes due. It does. Yeah. Explain that. It does. So as we know, you know, Joab was the nephew of David. Mm -hmm. And when you you look at the ministry of, of Joab and David's life, really Joab had more to do with the expansion of David's kingdom than anybody. Mm-hmm. And so he absolutely did bring and provide value to David's life and to David's ministry. The problem was um, he was just carnal and, yeah. and at times very unpredictable um, and self-willed. Mm-hmm. Okay, But some of those self-will actions proved to be, I would say, devastating to David. Yeah, devastating. Uh, so we, we we see we talked about this this principle a moment ago about God's sovereignty um, and, and and wicked agendas and how God used Abner to set up the throne of of, of David. And so when Joab gets word of this mm-hmm. that that Abner has come and, and and is working with with David, well, Joab was anything but pleased about that. And 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 let's just say, hey, listen, I. 
I get it. Mm-hmm. Abner had killed his brother. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. It, it was personal. It was personal. It was very personal. And so here comes here comes Joab to to see that David has. You're working with Abner now. Yeah, he probably felt betrayed. Felt and, betrayed. Yeah. So what does Joab do? Well, he leaves that conversation with David, where the tone was that he rebuked David for, I mean, you know, even talking with Abner, so to speak, and goes out and and, and murders Abner, right? And then again, so so you look at that, and and, and once again, you see the heart of David, where he mourned that, mm-hmm. like he that that really moved. I mean, he was grieved by that, mm-hmm. but he didn't do anything. No. Okay, and then you, and again, that, that's not the, the the only episode of that that you see. Uh, obviously, the the one that that really would have brought David to his knees was David had given very clear and explicit orders that Abs- Abner, or Absalom, sorry, his son Absalom, was not to be harmed, and, mm-hmm. and Joab, of course, just bulldozed that and 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 did the exact opposite. And so this now really gets to, and I'll, I'll just tell you, and I, and I think I think you you know this. It's one of the hardest things to do in ministry, is when you're leading and something is happening on your watch. You're seeing this kind of behavior, and you know you've got to deal with it. Mm-hmm. What some leaders do is they say, you know what, that is just too hard. That is too hard. That is too messy. The fallout would just be too much to deal with. You know what? That's my nephew. Yeah, that's really terrible. But, you know, but he really does do some really good things. And, you know, at some point he'll, he'll get over it. Yeah. He'll grow out of this. He'll grow out of this. Yeah. And, and so you're, you're basically saying, I'm just not going to deal with it. Mm hmm. And that bill eventually comes due. Yeah, it's amazing as you look at the relationship between Joab and David, just how much David was willing to put up with. And it was obviously out of convenience because at the end of the day, he preferred the good things that Joab provided more than he desired rightness in his kingdom. Right, exactly. So he he put the objectives and the zeal and the the uh, stick to itness of Joab. I mean, he was a get or done type of guy. Yes, he was. He preferred that uh, as a methodology over making sure that his kingdom, that his uh, his diplomats, his ambassadors, his leaders were in a right place. And I think to your point is a lot of times as leaders. We want people who are skilled. Right. They're good at things. Right. And if they're good at something, if their spiritual life, their walk, their character is slightly off, we're willing to to look past that because we prefer the goodness that they bring to the table versus the rightness that the church or the body needs to have in a leader. Yeah, absolutely. Here's here's what I can't here's what I can't get past in in terms of mainly particularly with. Joab and Absalom. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then you you look at how David wept and how he mourned the loss of Absalom. And and that's a whole different conversation yeah. because really, in some respects, Joab was a mirror of David, mm-hmm. right? In terms of just they were kind of the same men in, in some respects. Yeah. Okay? He did the things that David would maybe wanted to do but couldn't bring himself to because his character was too high. Exactly. But let me ask you this. If if David dealt with Joab after the Abner incident, do we even have Second Samuel eighteen where Absalom's murdered? Mm. No, I, I don't think I don't think so. Yeah, and, and that's that's the bill coming due. Yeah, right. And and it and when that bill shows up, it costs. Yeah, and now to say had I had I dealt with it. Then mm-hmm. we would have avoided this. Yeah, and um, and so as, as a leader, you you have to be watchful, and there's a balance, right? People have to have space and room to fail and to grow, and there's going to be immaturity, and but but there is a there is a there is an ironclad 
operating principle from for us here at Midtown. Mm-hmm. We talk about it a lot, and that is distinguishing distinguishing between weakness and wickedness. Mm-hmm. Okay. Joab, it was wickedness, mm-hmm. right? And I mean, this is the same thing. This is the principle that that Solomon employed in dealing with Adonijah, who tried to take the throne. Mm-hmm. And then once you know he's found out, he goes and basically throws himself on the mercy of the yeah. court in the temple. Yeah. And Solomon's command was simple: Okay, hey, if he if he be found worthy, he'll live. But if he's wicked, he's gonna die. Mm-hmm. In other words, what's his heart attitude? Yep. And so with Joab. Joab was showing David his heart attitude, and he was saying, "You better deal with me before it's too late." Yeah, and it it got and, too yeah. late. And the, and the thing is, what we're asking, you know, of leaders is this is a difficult thing. It is because it is sometimes difficult to distinguish between weakness and wickedness. Right? Sure. Sometimes the lines are blurry. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we need is the discernment of the Holy Spirit. Yes, we do. We need the Holy Spirit to reveal to us through the actions of other people what the true heart attitude is behind them. And we need to be watching for the way that people communicate, the way that people conduct themselves in small moments, the details of a person's life, what what resides just behind their mouth and behind their eyes and behind their ears right. is their wisdom. And uh, we've just got to be very careful because um, we can be fooled. We can. We can be fooled by, by men who are who appear good. And if that's good enough for us, then I think we might end up you know, hitching our wagon to, to men and leaders, women, women included, Absolutely. leaders in the church who have ulterior motives yeah. that, that run counter to our own. You, you said something in, in a moment ago that I think is, is critical to this and what you're saying now. And, and you know, one of the things that can, can fool us is, um, is the premium that we, we place on performance. Mm-hmm. And that can absolutely mislead us and misguide us and and taint our 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 perspective on the person. Because I mean, again, Joab was a get her get her done. Yeah, is that how you yeah, say? Yeah, I think so. I'm not her, country enough. Get her done. As we actually need to ask the guys down in Atlanta how they say. Sure, that. you know, <laughs> or Southern Missouri. Southern maybe. Missouri, yeah, so, sure. Uh, but Joab was a he 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 would he the guy was a producer. Mm-hmm. And and I tell you what, we are a success-driven society, a results-driven society. And so you'll see it all the time in professional sports. You know, a guy can go do some egregious thing, but I tell you what, the guy can he he can he can drop fifty. Oh man. Or he yeah. can or he, he can run a yeah. you know. And so we, we gotta find a way to get that guy on the court or on the field because Look at what he can do. Yeah, and so people are are willing to look the other way and not deal with things just because. Hey, I don't want to lose that. Yeah, and it's it's the erosion of morality, absolutely, you know, in our society, um, and even in our churches. Uh, if if you can turn a blind eye to that, what else can you turn a blind sure. eye to? Absolutely, and and ultimately that will you know result in in time a failure, if not in this generation, in the next one. Absolutely. It comes due. It comes due. Okay, so as we close, man, we've. This is so much fun. I could I could keep doing this, yeah. but um, I don't think people could listen much longer. You know, their rear ends start hurting after a while. They got to get up and move around, and and so we're thankful for everybody listening and and you know hearing what Second Samuel has to offer. As we close, um, why is it important that growing leaders uh, learn? principles from God's word or learn how to extrapolate from God's word devotional principles uh, that they can apply to their lives in the way that they conduct ministry, the way that they do life. Because I think a lot of times we're so fixated on the theological aspects. Mm-hmm. Uh, not everyone, but sometimes all of us fall guilty you know, to this. So lo- looking for the deeper things of God's word. We want to know God's word, which is a very good and healthy thing. But sometimes we struggle to find the ways in which God's word seeps into our, the nooks and the crannies of our lives and exposes us for the weaknesses. We don't think critically from God's word and we fail to make devotional applications. Why is it so important that we learn how to do that as leaders? So devotional principles are so critical for leaders because at the end of the day, I would say the the, the theme of them is obedience. Mm-hmm. 
Right. It, it is great that I can come to God's word and, and I've got a really good handle on it doctrinally. Yeah. That's important. Super important. Sound doctrine. Because you can't get de- the devotional thing right unless you have the doctrinal part okay. right. Okay. So yeah. we, so we're not, we're not, we're not being dismissive of no. that no. or mitigating that at all. Right. That's critical. Mm-hmm. But as, as the, the wise Alan Shelby used to say, it's got to go 18 inches deeper. It's mm-hmm. got to get into my heart. And once it gets into my heart, now it's going to come out in my life. Mm-hmm. So now what these devotional principles do is they give me specific, clear steps of obedience that I am to employ in my life across the spectrum of my life. Yeah. If I only deal with it doctrinally, I'm not there, mm-hmm. right? And and that's where now I can become puffed up. I can become pharisaical. But when it gets into my heart and, and I can take a pen and say, okay, or I guess I kind of dated myself. I guess you can you can type <laughs> sure, in your right. journal or whatever you right. do. But but where now you can say, okay, God, based on my time with you in your word and based on the things that you have taught me, this is what I am hearing from the Holy Spirit as it relates to how I need to walk before you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kenny, as always, it was a great time. Thank you so Man. much for hanging out with me. It, it, I appreciate it. I do. I'm humbled. I really am humbled to to just talk with you like this and humbled that people would even listen and I, i'm just thankful that god can use it yeah and yeah. and the you know i don't share this often with our listeners but the, the listenership is continually going up and the feedback is continually positive that people mm-hmm. are learning important things for their lives um Appreciate they're appreciative of, of the, the the show and and what we're offering and so i'm, I'm grateful for the listeners and i'm grateful for men like you who are willing mm-hmm. to sit down with me and and talk about biblical things uh but i'm I'm very uh, appreciative that you're on the team at LFBI and that, that the foundation's program is in such good hands. Praise God. And we're going to be working on this book. So hopefully in 2022, people will be able to anticipate this, uh, this leadership. Book. Absolutely. We've, uh, we, we've got a plan. Yes. And uh, that plan involves something about locking ourselves in a room for a couple of days. Yeah, <laughs> I, think, I think we need to retreat in order so, to hammer yeah. out some of the, the details. But. We'll get there. All right, man. Well, yeah. thank you. And we want to thank you as well, uh, the listener, for hanging out with us one more time for the postscript. And we do pray that uh, the content today was beneficial to you and it, it was faith building. And hopefully it challenged you a little bit in terms of how you see yourself as a leader. It's not easy leading people. It's not easy being a shepherd to the flock or an under shepherd to God's flock. And uh, it requires us thinking about ourselves in very critical terms and, and, and being constructive as we approach God's word. And we do need to learn how to take principles and, uh, and see them uh, as they relate to us personally. And so we're praying that you do that. And we'd like LFBI to be a help in this work of seeing you transformed into the leader that you're supposed to be. And so if that interests you at all, we want to invite you to visit lfbi.org. Check out our vision, check out our statement of faith, check out our program of study, and then consider whether or not classes are something that you need to get involved with. But with that, we love you. We're grateful for you. And we hope to see you again next week for another episode of The Postscript. God bless. Thanks for listening to The Postscript. If you enjoy the show, please leave us a rating and review in order to help other people find our podcast. If you value this show, please help us continue creating content by supporting Living Faith Bible Institute at lfbi.org support.